Good morning. Hey, college students are back. What's up, guys? It's good to have you. How's everybody doing? You guys sound like you're doing awesome. Guess what time it is? It's Romans time. Can you guys believe it has been two months since we have studied the book of Romans? Did you say yeah? Does it feel like it's been two months? It feels like it's been forever, right? It was not my intention to break from Romans for two months, but here we are. Uh, we're back, and it's good to be back in Romans. Uh, today we have a passage on peace and joy and hope. And so I guess here's my first question. How many of y'all could use a little hope today? Yeah, we're really engaged. That's good. That's good. Y'all don't need hope. That's fine. I'll just be done. We'll go home. Get on with the day. Go watch some football or something. Is there football today? Yeah, there's football today. It's playoffs, right? Yeah. Okay. We, our world could use a little hope today, right? Since 2020, what's happened? Huh? COVID. Suicide rates have gone through the roof. Dependency on drugs, alcohol, abuse of drugs and alcohol have gone through the roof. Uh, Prescriptions of antidepressants, SSRIs, through the roof. Conversations about mental health and emotional health, through the roof. Why is that? Well, our sense of the adversity that we've been facing has also gone through the roof right? 2020 brought us all a lot of adversity and a lot of hardship. And that adversity uh, for many of us has only intensified over the last couple of years with political strain and strife, economic strain, strain on our families, relational strain within our families. Things have gotten more intense and the world looks increasingly hopeless and joyless. And if we're honest, a lot of us wish we could just reset right? Like, could we just go back to like 2019 and just, I mean, not go back, but can the world just sort of reset and pretend like nothing happened from 2019 till now and we just kind of pick back up in the timeline? If we could erase the last two or three years from existence, we feel like, oh man, we could be happier, How many of you feel like you've been barely holding on, waiting for normal to come back still, and just wishing that, you know, normal, whatever your idea of normal is, could just be brought back? Yeah. If just the political climate, if America, if the economic climate could just be whatever we think normal is, that might be something that we could rejoice in. So guess what? It's not coming back, right? It's not coming back. If we're looking for the world to turn into a place where we can find comfort and joy and hope, we're looking for those things in the wrong places. And that's what a lot of people have discovered over the last couple years, that their comforts and hopes have been taken away, and that's why they've despaired. Those things have been taken, and I don't see any way forward, any way to get them back, and so all I see is despair. Today's passage is about joy and hope, and we're commanded to rejoice in today's passage three times. 
in hope of the glory of God, in our sufferings, and in God through Jesus, through a reconciled relationship with God. None of those three things has anything to do with pandemics or vaccines or who sits in the White House or the real estate market or inflation or your health or your safety or the health and safety of your family. They have to do with God. And so that's what we're going to focus on this morning. So uh, Before we do that, though, let's pray. Father, this morning we come to you in the midst of our own suffering and hardship and adversity. And we pray that you would speak to us through your word. You give us clarity, the ability to see things as they truly are. This morning we pray for the babies in our church. We thank you that um, the Abrams baby was born safely this past week. Um, although it has been scary for them and for us, we pray that you would cause her to grow strong and that you would give Dylan and Ashley faith as they face uh, difficulty. We pray for the Salsers and the Cerises and the Shooties that you would protect the babies in their mother's wombs, um, especially for the Salsers as they approach the time when their twins are to be delivered and as they have concerns about size and growth. Pray that you would comfort them and strengthen them and that you'd strengthen uh, those kids. I pray for those uh, looking for homes for the Luttrells and the Jones family as they deal with difficult situations. We pray for Ben this morning as he uh, preaches in Cincinnati that you'd give him faith and power by your spirit. Uh, we thank you, Father, for the ways that you're opening up opportunities for us to serve in this community. Uh, we pray that uh, you would continue to do that and that there would be opportunities to serve at the United Methodist Youth Home just down the street, that we would be able to uh, take care of uh, young men and women who are fatherless and who need to see your love and your care. Help us this morning. Give me wisdom and strength and power by your Holy Spirit. Lead us into truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so this morning's passage is Romans chapter 5. That's where we start. Um, Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Okay, so we'll stop right there for now. So this week's passage begins with a word, and the word is therefore. And we always, whenever we hit the word therefore, we ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? Oh boy. So it's been two months since we've studied Romans. Does that mean we have to go back right now and rehash all of Romans 1 to 4? Thankfully, not really. Um, because he tells us what he's referring to. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Now, we have talked about that. We do need to rehash it a little bit, right? What does it mean to be justified by faith? It means to be counted or, credit or uh, uh, considered righteous. And that's really all Romans 1 to 4 has been about, right? We've got a big problem. And the problem is what? Sin. 
unrighteousness. The wrath of God is revealed against the unrighteousness of men, right? That's how it begins. And so the first three chapters are just what? You're not righteous, you're not righteous, you're not righteous, nobody's righteous. It's sort of like Oprah, right? Like you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. Like, no, you're not righteous, you're not righteous, you're not righteous. It doesn't matter who you are. Oh, are you a Gentile? Guess what? You're a sinner. Oh, you're a Jew? Guess what? You're a sinner. Oh, you think you're great? Oh, you're, you know, no, no, doesn't matter. Oh, you think you follow the law? No, no. Everybody's a sinner. Nobody's righteous. So what do we do? Oh, we don't do anything. God did. God sent Jesus to be what we couldn't be, to do for us what we could never do. Jesus, the eternal, the eternal Son of God, came, lived a perfect sinless life, and came to give us his righteousness and to take our sin on himself and to take the punishment for that sin on himself. And so we can be considered or counted righteous in God's sight, justified. How does it work? Well, it's nothing that we can do on our own. We can't work it out. This is a gift that we receive by faith. That's it. And that is what gives us peace with God, a reconciled relationship. So since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Okay, here we have our first call to rejoice. Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Real joy doesn't start with what we see or what we have. It's not about comfort. It's not about ease. It's not about our circumstances. It starts with God and with hope. What do you hope for? What do you hope in? Think about it for a second. When you wake up in the morning, what do you hope in? Where are you looking for joy? Where are you pursuing happiness? What is it? What are the kinds of things we're tempted to hope in? That's an open question. Money? Absolutely. Job security. Job security. Comfort. Your spouse? Is that what I heard? Yeah, absolutely. Your spouse? Government, society, political climate. All kinds of things, right? Problem is we live in a world where everyone's grasping for joy and happiness in the things that are around them, outside of them. And the more it looks like we can't get the politics right, the more it looks like we can't get the economy right, the more it looks like our housing situation, our job situation, our job security can't be secured, the more it looks like we can't get our families right, the more hopeless we tend to feel because our hope is fixed on the things that we can see. And God says, well, there's your first problem. There's your first problem. Your hope is not meant to be fixed on what you can see. Not on the things around us in this world, not politics, not wealth, not the economy, in God himself, in hope of the glory of God. That is a hope that's sure and solid. And it has three unmovable, unshakable pillars that we see in this passage. 
so that no matter what goes on in the world around us, nothing can take these three things away from us. And the first is our justification, that we have been justified, forgiven of our sins, and counted righteous. Jesus died, Jesus rose, Jesus saves, Jesus gives us his righteousness, and once that has happened, it cannot be taken away from us. And it doesn't matter what goes on in the world out there. We have peace with God. That's something that money and power and sex and success can never satisfy, our consciences. So we have justification and we have peace with God because the the world's at war with God and at war with us. And that's the reason to feel despair, right? That's the reason we could be tempted to despair. It can feel like, man, everyone and everything is against God, against the truth and against us. We can look at the attack on God's truth in every direction and find ourselves caught in the crossfire. But here's the truth. The world may be at war with God, but we have peace with God. And that means that God is on our side. We have a relationship with Him that's restored and healthy and strong, no matter what other relationships we have that are in trouble. The world may be at war with God and at war with us. It is. But peace with God means God is on our side no matter what happens out there. And that is something that can't be taken away from us. So our consciences, our relationship with God, and third pillar, it means that we have access to God's grace. We stand in God's grace. We're surrounded by it. We live in grace. While the world around us is in fits of tit-for-tat, where everyone's trying to get theirs, we have access to the grace of God. Now, how many things in your life do you wish you had access to, but you don't? What, you know, uh, any of y'all watch any reality TV shows? Good. They're stupid. But what do they promise? They promise access to the stars or to to insight into how people live, right? Things that are forbidden, it's not ours to access. It's not natural and not normal. Social media promises the same thing, that access to the hidden lives of our friends and our family or the thoughts or lives of important people that we look up to, the ability to maybe be seen by them, right? Anybody in the world can, you know, you can pick, it doesn't matter who it is, you can pick you know, Elon Musk, you can pick Donald Trump, you can pick Joe Biden, you can pick anybody. And if you just put a little at sign, you got a shot at being seen or responded to by anybody out there. It's the promise of access to, you know, your favorite sports star, your favorite movie star, celebrity or politician or Billionaire tech guru. What secrets do you want to know? Do you want to know who killed JFK? What do you want access to? It's all kinds of things that we want access to. 
In the Old Testament, access to God was restricted to the priests and to certain priests at certain times of the year. There was a place called the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could access it once a year on the Day of Atonement. Now, here's the reality. In Jesus and through Jesus, you and I have full access to God, to the creator of heaven and earth, to the maker of everything, to the one who rules over all of it, the one who supplies Elon Musk with his billions. In Jesus, we have access to God and to all of his grace. How many of you need more grace? How many of you think that's just what the world needs? It's more grace. Through Jesus, you have access to the grace of God in which you stand. So you have justification, you have forgiveness, you have peace with God, and you have access to the grace of God. And those are things that cannot be taken away from you. So our hope isn't in what we see. It's not in what's down here. It's in God. It's in hope of the glory of God. And that means we can have hope no matter how bad things look. And that means we can rejoice no matter how hard things get, which is where we're headed next. So we pick up again in the passage. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Okay, now how many of us like the idea of suffering? Nobody. Anybody want to suffer? Anybody looking for more suffering? True or false, we pretty much try to design our lives to avoid suffering. True. Here's the truth. To be human is to suffer. We all live under the curse of the fall. We are all going to die. We all face suffering and hardship in various forms, some more than others, some at, uh, different, uh, more at different times than other times. We all suffer as a consequence of our actions, as a consequence of our sins. We all suffer because of sins committed against us. And if you're a Christian, if you belong to Jesus, you suffer on some level for the sake of righteousness. There is a cost to following Jesus. That's why Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Crosses aren't nice. They involve pain. They involve suffering. They involve death. Death to sin, death to self, and death to the world. <clears throat> Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. If they hated me, they'll hate you too. Guess what? The world hates Jesus. And so guess what? A servant's not greater than his master. The world hates us too. And that means on every possible level, on a natural level, and on a level that's connected to our faith in God, suffering is inescapable. We live in a cursed world. We will suffer. We will die. We will bear the consequences of our own sins. We'll bear the consequences of the sins of others. And that means suffering. And we will all face persecution on some level because, as Paul writes to Timothy, 
all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But here's the difference. When you know Jesus, when you are at peace with God and when your future is secure, you can rejoice, not only in avoiding suffering, which we should do when it's possible, right? The ground was cursed with thorns and thistles and nobody's saying, go out there and grab the thorns and thistles with your bare hands. We invent gloves. Gloves are a good thing. But we can rejoice in the midst of suffering, no matter the reason, because all our suffering, all of our hardship, all of the adversity that we face is in the context of the love of our Father in heaven. When suffering is a consequence of just the world, thorns and thistles, we can rejoice because we know that our Father appointed that suffering to discipline us and point us to Jesus. Jesus is ours and we have something to hope in, a world beyond this curse. When suffering is a consequence of our own sin, we can rejoice because our Father loves us and disciplines us as His sons and daughters. We have hope beyond sin that Jesus is ours and one day we'll be free from sin. When suffering is a consequence of persecution, we can rejoice because we have peace with our Father in heaven. And in the end, He wins. So our suffering by faith produces, as the passage says, endurance. We can face it down because we understand it. And that work of enduring, of facing down our suffering with faith, produces in us character. And that makes us stronger. It makes us resilient. It makes us better. We grow through our suffering. And as we grow through our suffering, that produces in us hope. It strengthens our hope because we see that our suffering produces in us exactly what God says it would. We see God's fulfillment of God's promises to us. As we suffer, as we endure, we grow. We have in ourselves the fruit of righteousness, and that's God's promises coming true, and that gives us hope. What kind of hope? Well, the hope that he who began a good work in us really is at work. And he really will see it through to completion. So suffering makes us look to Jesus as we face thorns and thistles, as we face death. It makes us look to Jesus when our sins are disciplined. It makes us grateful for forgiveness. It makes us hopeful for freedom and power. And for a day when we can just be done with sin. It purifies us. We see our Father at work freeing us from sin. We see God's enemies hating us and for no good reason. And that strengthens us because it means we're becoming like Jesus. How else does it make sense? It doesn't make sense otherwise. One of the biggest problems in the world today is that we don't teach people how to deal with hard times, how to deal with suffering. People don't know how to respond. They just know how to feel entitled. I shouldn't have to suffer is the premise. And it's rooted in some truth. Suffering's not natural. It's not how God designed things to be. But then we have this attitude. It says, well, then I shouldn't have to suffer. So if I'm suffering, it must be somebody else's fault. Who can I blame? Who can I make fix my problems? But that's not real life. We're all in the struggle. When you suffer, 
your response cannot be, who do I blame? It has to be, how do I grow? This is an opportunity to blame somebody and to be a victim, or this is an opportunity to become better. You have to have the mindset that no matter what comes my way, I can't make everything better out there, but I can become better. I can grow. But you have to endure. You have to hold fast. That will improve your character. You will get stronger if you endure. Stress always produces growth. There is a, there's a um, story, I, I don't know if it's true, but it gets repeated all the time about an ancient Greek wrestler who was intent on becoming the strongest man alive. And so what was his strategy? Well, his strategy was to take a, a, a calf, a bull calf, from the day he was born and to pick that bull calf up and carry him every single day until he became a full-grown bull. Guess what? It worked. I don't even know if that's possible. But this is the way that growth happens. We know that that's true. It is what you do in the gym. You lift weights and you try to add weight and reps. Our body responds to suffering and we get stronger. It's how we learn. We challenge our minds. We apply stress. Our minds learn and adapt and grow stronger in the directions we challenge them. It doesn't matter what it is, if it's sports, if it's music, if it's math, if it's memory, if it's storytelling, you have to apply stress if you want to grow. You have to work. We grow under stress, and our character is forged by our response to the stress of suffering, our character. Our character is forged by our response to suffering. Do we endure suffering with faith, or do we complain and moan and find somebody to blame? and tell ourselves we deserve better? Do we respond with faith in our Father who loves us? Or do we complain and moan and get angry and act like brats who are entitled to get our own way? Things out there might not get better, but we can get better. That has to be our mindset. That has to be how we respond to failure and hardship and suffering. I might not be able to change the external circumstances of my life, I might not be able to make all of those things better, but I can be made better by them. That's character. That's what we mean when we say that person has character. They have grace under pressure. We see someone who responds to suffering and adversity with endurance and a mindset of how do I use this to become better and stronger? We say that's a high character person. Low character people complain and stay static. High character people stay humble and grow. People of low character see suffering, hardship, and adversity as excuses to be bad, to let themselves slide. High character people see suffering and hardship and adversity as opportunities to grow and to rise higher, to produce the fruit of the Spirit when everyone else around them is producing the fruit of the flesh. Think about the suffering that you've been through the past couple years. It doesn't matter what it is. COVID, family pain, financial pain, difficulty, and marriage with kids. How did you respond? Pressure, stress, suffering, these things reveal who we are. And then you have a decision. 
endure, grow, change, cave in, wimp out, stay the same. You have all, we have all faced hardship and suffering. By God's grace, in many ways, we have endured. The places where you endured, your character was improved and you matured. And the places where you refused to endure, but just went for a cope, you remained immature. Arrested development. We all stumbled at times over the past couple years, but look where we are. Look at where God has brought you. Look at the ways he has changed you from two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. You're not the same. By God's grace, you have changed. You have been changed by the Spirit of God as you have submitted yourself to discipline, pain, and suffering and endured. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And there are places where that's not been true, where you've not had faith for that. And you've remained immature and weak. When you look at the places where you have endured and grown, what is it that you feel? What you should feel is hope. The moment we stop enduring, and there are temptations to stop enduring all the time, that's the moment we stop maturing. And we replace hope with just different varieties of cope. Drugs, medications, alcohol, porn, sex, pity parties, all kinds of copes. Your copes are a decision to stop growing, to stop maturing, and to refuse to become the man or woman God has made you to be. A refusal to trust that God, your Father, stands sovereign above and beyond every bit of suffering that he's brought into your life. All ages of life, it can be tempting to quit. It's easy to be tired of the pressure. But God doesn't let us out of the pressure cooker called life until death. Our job's to endure to the end. There are places that each of us have avoided pain and hardship and we've not matured. And here's what's gonna happen. It doesn't matter how it's come at us. One day life will hit us hard in those places. But we'll wake up and be punched in the mouth and not know how to respond. And it'll be easy to just crumble and fold and blame everybody else around us. And the reality will be no. No, we just spend enough time holding some part of our lives precious. Refusing to grow and to mature. We will have sowed the wind and we will reap the whirlwind. That can happen in relationships. It can happen in your marriage. It can happen with your kids. It can happen with your job. No part of life that can't be touched by this. This past week alone, many of us have had to deal with hard things. It doesn't matter what it is. I don't know everything that's going on in your life, but I know that you have kids that don't sleep. I know that you have friends and family who have died suddenly. 
John was telling me about a, a friend or maybe a friend of a friend who died in his 30s while working out in the gym. Just his heart stopped. Dylan and Ashley's baby wasn't due until the end of February, emergency C-section in the middle of the week. Scary. It's been hard for them. Life is suffering. And we go through our lives always looking, if we're not careful, for just what the most convenient thing is. The easy way forward. Choosing convenience is short-sighted, though. It's choosing to suffer later. Sometimes we don't get a choice. Death, sickness. But we always have a choice about how we'll respond when suffering does come. Will we endure? Will we crumble? Will we fold? Or will we stand fast in the grace that we have access to? Some of uh, the men, the men in the pastor's college training for ministry have been studying Job this past week, just started. Be careful about when you study Job. When you face hard things, pain, suffering, it's easy to be afraid, isn't it? What happens when you're afraid? You set up walls. You find ways to protect yourself and to insulate yourself from pain. When you're ruled by fear, you set up walls. And you can do that in your marriage and in your home and with your kids. And what is that? You could say it's fear, and it is fear. Fear of what, though? Fear that things won't change? That things can't change? That you can't change? That your marriage can't get better? That your kids can't grow? So what is it that you need? What you need is hope. Hope that God will work. Hope that things can change. Hope that you can change. And here's the beautiful thing, and we've already talked about it. Hope compounds. Hope is a force multiplier. As we suffer, as we go through it, as we endure, as God transforms our, char- as God transforms our character, we see God's faithfulness. We see God at work through his Holy Spirit. We feel God's love. We accumulate experience in wins. Little places of growth that we can hang our hat on and say, I'm not just holding fast to God's promise. I've already seen God's promise at work in my life. Those prepare me for the next battle. Some of you are young and maybe new to the fight. So it's hard for you to have hope because you haven't really gotten through some of those early battles yet. That's why you have to trust God's word. Why you have to look to those who are ahead of you who have been through hard things. It's not that bad. Suffering stinks, endurance is hard, but growth comes from it and hope comes with it. And that's what we want. We want to be mature. We want to be strong. We want to become better men and women of God. We want our kids to become even better than us. That means we have to set an example. 
We have to encourage them to see suffering and trials and discipline as a normal part of life because the goal is not our convenience and not their convenience. It's Christ's likeness. It's godliness. It's maturity. It's growth. The more battles, the more growth, the more hope, the stronger we are for the next battle. And in our lives, the battles only get bigger. For the church in America, the battles are only going to get bigger. For Christians in America, for husbands and fathers and mothers and wives in America, the battles are only going to get harder. For kids growing up in America, the battles we're going to face, you're going to face, are only going to get harder. And you have to learn now how to suffer, how to endure, and how to grow. And you need to be building up a huge store of hope because the days are dark and they're going to get darker. And you need to be ready for the fight. You need to not be surprised, not taken off guard. You need to have some hope stored up. You need to have some wins stored up, some places that you can look back on your life and see God has been at work in me. He has been with me. So I can trust he will continue to be with me. So that you're not shaken when things get tough. You know what this is. You know what it's about. And you know what God's doing. And you know that he who has seen you through small things will help you and see you through bigger things to the end, to the very end. I'm not trying to be doom and gloom about the future. It's just that that's the way life is for all of us. Most of us are likely to have our toughest tests ahead of us. What do you think it's going to be when you go to face your own death? It'll be the toughest test you've ever had to face. And so far as I know, that's a battle nobody in this room has already fought. It's a dumb joke. You better be ready for it when it comes. So those of us who are committed to growing, which should be everybody in this room, if you want to grow, that means you have to embrace suffering and discipline when it comes. It means you have to endure it. It means you have to allow it to teach you and grow you as God intends it to. If that's what you want, you'll have not only your hope in God's work strengthened, but your hope in heaven strengthened. We'll see that God's at work in us, that the promises that he has made, he fulfills. It'll bring us more joy and more hope. We'll be able to look at our lives and say, look what God has done. Look what God has done. I didn't do that. God did that. So God must be at work. And that's a promise, something you can hang your hat on, not on yourself, not on your works, but on God. As you do that, you'll grow in leadership because the more you endure, the more you grow, the greater impact you can have and the more qualified you become to lead others through pain which is the essence of leadership. But you have to actually endure and grow strong, not cope and grow bitter. Parents, how many of you want your kids to have character? Yeah? No? Nobody? Yeah, okay, good. David does. Do you let your kids go through hardship? Do you teach them to endure through hardship? Do you help them rejoice in suffering or do you shelter and protect them from hardship? I'm not saying make things hard for your kids. 
saying, God is going to bring your kids opportunities to grow. They'll get cut from the team. They'll hit a subject in school they struggle with. A grandparent will die. And yeah, on the one hand, it's your job to protect your kids. But on the other hand, you have to remember that your goal is not for your kids to be safe. It's for them to be strong. And that means letting them endure some things that are difficult and teaching them to respond well to adversity. Teaching them to rejoice through suffering. Because the end game is not that they make the best teams or get the best grades or that they never have to cry at a funeral. It's that they grow in character. And that means we can't pave every path for them. It means we can't cushion and shelter them from everything. We can hold their hand as they go through it, but there are some things we have to learn to walk through on our own, and there are some things they have to learn to walk through on their own. I'm not saying when your toddler falls down and scrapes his knee, you have to say, well, kid, life's tough. Get used to it. I'm just saying, as your kids age up, you have to give them more freedom and responsibility to help them see and accept the consequences of their actions and the consequences of their inaction and to deal with the fact that we live in a fallen world so that they can grow, so that they learn to respond and grow to these things on their own. Okay. Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Rejoice in suffering. Final rejoice. Rejoice in a reconciled relationship with God. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Okay, what does God call us? What does he say we are? What does he say we were? We were weak, ungodly, sinners, enemies. If you're not a Christian, that is what you are. But if you belong to Jesus, that is what you were. We all have a problem. It's sin. It's rebellion. We're at war with God. But God did the work to reconcile us to himself while we were his enemies. He sent Jesus to die so that we can be justified, declared righteous, so that we can be saved through the resurrection from the dead. This passage begins by saying that we have peace with God through Jesus. We have access to grace through Jesus. We have hope through Jesus. And the foundation of all of that is that God has done the work of reconciliation through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So if you're struggling with peace... It's because you're at war with God. And the solution is not to fight and try to win the war. It's to surrender to God. You can fight with God and lose, or you can surrender to God and find that he will fight for you. Which would you rather have? In our weakness, 
in our fear, in our doubt, in our hopelessness. We're tempted to sin. When we sin, we act as enemies of God. Which is to say, we act as if God is our enemy. That was true. But if you're in Christ, it's not true anymore. While we were still God's enemies, Jesus died for us. So the way to deal with our weakness is to deal with our sin. And the way to deal with our sin is to be reconciled to God, to remove the antagonism. If you're in Christ, God loves you. He is not your enemy. He is not against you. So stop treating him like your enemy. Trust him and submit your life to him. And watch your weaknesses fall away as he proves himself to you. As he disciplines you, as you suffer, as you endure, and as you grow. He is faithful and his promises are true. His love for you couldn't be any more plain. It couldn't be any more obvious. It couldn't be any more certain or objective. How do we know? The cross is all you need to know. The cross is all you need to know. Jesus came. He was born. He lived. He died. And he rose again. What more can he say? What more can he do? We don't need some subjective sign from heaven that God's love is ours. We have an objective sign from heaven. Jesus himself, God made flesh, born in Bethlehem, hung on a cross, buried in a tomb, resurrected from the dead, ascended into heaven, and seated at the right hand of the Father. That's the love of God for you. And God pours that love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, no matter what's going on out there. So as you suffer and go through difficult things, if you commit to rejoicing through them, you'll discover the love of God in ways you've never experienced before. God loves you so much that he's going to take all of your pain and suffering in this life and he's going to cause it to work for your good for your growth. There is nothing in this life that can separate you from the love of God. Which is where, it's just, I'm just working ahead in Romans, if you know Romans, right? This is where this is all headed. We don't know what's going to happen. But we know the one who does we know the one who's in control and the one who will walk with us as we endure it. He is our Father in heaven. So this morning, rejoice and shift your focus. Focus less on what you're suffering and more on what you're becoming. You're becoming like Jesus who loves you who is working all these things for your good and give thanks. Because of Jesus, you are righteous. You have peace with God. You have access to grace. And that means you can rejoice in hope. You can rejoice in the midst of suffering. You can endure it. You can grow in character. And you can have your hope strengthened and increased day by day as you suffer and as you look to Jesus because you are loved by God and he pours out his love into our hearts through his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I know this morning that many of us are struggling and I pray that you would be near to us and that you would pour out your love into our hearts through your Holy Spirit. 
that you would teach us to rejoice in hope of your glory in the midst of our sufferings and in Jesus and through whom we have received reconciliation with you. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.